Welcome to Social Business Builders, and my name is Craig Dearden Phillips. On this podcast, we showcase a new generation of outstanding people who've made it their mission to build a business that creates extraordinary social impact. On Social Business Builders, you'll hear their true stories, up close and personal, warts and all. This will give you ideas and inspiration as you build social impact into the heart of your business or startup. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and join me and the Social Business Builders. Susan Atkamel is one of the UK's most celebrated social entrepreneurs. The fast-growing business she founded in 2014, Homes for Good, is now not only a successful social letting agent, but now also a social landlord, creating and renting out 500 homes to some of Glasgow's most in-need individuals and families. Before this, she founded Impact Arts, which is now a national social enterprise specialising in youth employment and regeneration. On top of this, Susan is an entrepreneurial fellow at Goldsmiths College in London and received an honorary doctorate from the University of Strathclyde in her home city of Glasgow in 2017. So I'm joined today by my um, by my friend Noah Isserman, um, who is the uh, who is the uh, professor at the University of Illinois. Uh, he's also the founder of a, of a, of a, a well-known incubator in the, in, uh, in, in, in the University of, of Social Businesses, and he's a successful entrepreneur in his own right, and a Gates scholar at Cambridge University. We, we met Noah, we've uh, welcomed Noah. We met the better part of 13 years ago, didn't we? Yeah, I was just realizing our, our 13th anniversary is coming up, and it's yeah. wonderful to, to join you for this chapter. Hello, Susan. Hi, Craig. It's uh, it's great to have you with us on Social Business Builders. A real honour. Um, you're one of Scotland's most um, celebrated and um, and and uh, well, dare I say, famous um, social entrepreneurs. It's 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 marvellous to have you with us. You're the uh, you're the you're the founder of of Homes for Good and uh, and Impact Arts, another another well known nationally recognised organisation in Scotland. It's brilliant that you're um, able to, to 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 join us. I guess. Susan, I, 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 I'm a social entrepreneur myself, um, and I suppose I'm really interested in why people become social entrepreneurs, what, what, what drives them, what, what got them there, why they didn't do other stuff with their lives. Uh, what, what, what's, where do you see your entrepreneurial zeal coming from? Can, can you trace it to anything specific? Yeah, I think I, think I know specifically exactly when um, I made the decision to work in the way that I work now. Um, so my background was that, you know, you know, so quite often people think that social entrepreneurs evolve out of a specific life experience that, that might be a negative life experience. That wasn't really what happened with me. So I came from a fairly safe, uh, typical working class background sort of aspirational working class background mm, mm. In, in quite a narrow-minded uh, environment that I lived in mm. and um, there, were, there were two or three things that happened the first thing was that um, my mum and dad were very hard working but very cautious very risk averse my, my older brother who's 10 years uh, older than me he really rejected that and he set up his own business mm from 16 onwards he was just mm. the 
classic entrepreneur doing all sorts of different things. And, and I watched that as a young child. Uh -huh. So there was almost a bit of mm, role model stroke sibling rivalry that was all, always there. So the idea of starting a business was instilled in me from, you know, probably from about nine or 10 years old, because I could see it. See it. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then, so, so that was planted in my mind that I would yes. wanted to do something like that because my big brother had done it. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, when, um, what else happened? And then when I was, when I was 16, sort of 16, 17, 18, I went to university and I lived in Europe, uh, yeah. lived in Spain and Germany as part of, of the studies that I did at university. Yes. And so I threw myself into, right into the deep end of going to live in another country quite yes. young. Yes. Uh, not yes. speaking the languages particularly well and then becoming fluent in the languages and becoming very at home in different countries. Yes. So that gave me a confidence, actually, that yeah. just infor just gave me the sort of the guts to try new things. Yes. And, and, and then, yeah, yeah. And then, and then the third thing that I suppose that happened was that uh, when I came, after I graduated, I went and taught in Spain I went to live in Spain and taught English there and then I came back home and I was unemployed and um, I, I I got a job teaching adult literacy and that, um, that that job really showed me a part of life that I had not been exposed to at all in, in my first right. 20 years of my life where it was it was the sort of you know, real, real poverty in Glasgow and right. people, yes. um, you know, that were twice my age that, that literally couldn't read and write their own names. Yes. And uh, I took all my teaching skills and everything I'd learned, all my interpersonal skills up until that point into that environment. And I completely loved it. And I could see the difference that you made if you, um, if you put time into how people, you, you know, helping people change how they felt about themselves. Yes. So I made a decision at that point to go down a, a professional road which was around working in communities and helping people improve their lives yes. I already had this idea around right well I want I want to have my own business and be my own boss yes yes the, the, other, same time. Yeah. the other thing that had happened which um, I should have mentioned is that when I was in Germany that was a real eye-opener for me because I ended up spending quite a lot of time looking at what had happened with the Nazis in Germany and mm. as part of that learning I got to know two concentration camp survivors, one from yeah. Auschwitz and one from Bergen-Belsen. Oh, yeah. So that was where my whole sense of, I suppose, social injustice came, you know, yes. I learned about. And, and, I, and I did, I remember coming back from, from Germany back to Glasgow, quite a different person from the one oh. that had got, that I'd left. Yes. So all of those ingredients really directed my focus into social, social stuff, if you like. Yes. Yes. But then there was this layer of business that I wanted to try, and um, and I, I and I think at an early um, an early stage in my career I realised that I was probably quite unemployable, <laughs> but also that I just wanted yeah. to do things my way. That I had confidence in doing things my way, and I wanted to see if I could. Yeah, yeah, and 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 your first business was called Impact Impact Arts. You called yeah. it, and what, what did that grow out of? What was what was that? What was that like to to be starting a business? You're 24 at the time. It's yeah. quite a young age. I was 24 when I started my first thing. Didn't know what the hell I was doing. Completely chaotic. You know, really, it was it was it was yeah. It was it was really it was really difficult. I knew nothing. What, what was it like for you? I guess you had your brother to have learned from. I, I didn't have anyone quite as good as that but what, what was it like tell me 
So it was brilliant. It was yeah. it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And actually starting Homes for Good was exactly the same 20 yes. years later, which was which was a real a real joy. And I, I you know, sorry to uh, be the bearer of bad news, Craig, but it wasn't chaotic and I did know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So I had um I had planned out the idea. It was actually the third or fourth business idea that I had looked at. Yeah. But this was the one that I landed on, and I think I landed on it because it was social and because I really deeply cared about it. Yeah. And and at the time, all as well, um, I sort of just thought, what's the worst that can happen if I can't make this idea work? I'll just go back and get a job. So yeah. I certainly had this level of confidence, um, hopefully not arrogance, but definitely confidence that I had lots of different options and yeah. I was going to just try this one. Yeah. Um, and I think I worked out the business plan quite carefully. I did the same as I do now, which is come up with some ideas, have a couple, a chat with a few people to check whether they think it's a good idea. Yes. Do the minimum amount of research I can to convince me that it's a gore, and then just and then just jump in. So yeah, yeah. Um, it was brilliant. I loved it. And yeah, and and and, and so that, that that formula of 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 looking, casting around quite widely for ideas. And then selecting one which really works for you—that that, that that's something you've st- that, that you've kept with you as a, as a, as, a, as an entrepreneurial practice. By the sound of it, it's not that because some people have this one thing, don't they, that they want to do, and that's really it, you know. And and they don't they don't cast around very widely at all. What's you, yeah? You you've got a much more kind of almost like a a much more uh, I don't know rational approach to it. Almost you know you're, you're looking quite coldly and and quite quite carefully at a range of things, and then jumping you're shaking your head I don't think that's how it happened I think that you know if I think through what the businesses were um the business ideas were um I mean there was one that was about language teaching and in, in, mm. cor- in a corporate environment and that would have been that could have been quite a lucrative business actually um yes. and I was asked to set it up there was there was a there was a, a, a corporate who I was teaching um, within their their offices and they said yes. and I was on behalf of the college and they said why don't you set up your own business and we'll pay you four times what you would get paid if you were teaching in college yes. um, but it didn't we've got a phrase in Glasgow it doesn't float my boat it didn't float my boat it, I just thought this is not I could do this and I loved teaching and I loved languages, but it, it, I didn't, I didn't, didn't, I didn't love yeah, it. Yeah. And then, the, and then the next one, um, I had been approached to run a pub, and nice. be and be part owner in a pub, which I knew that I could completely do. But also, that really is not what you yeah. want to say you do. Um, well, I didn't. And then the third thing was looking at it was export, it was international export, and it was a product that could have made money. It would have been a good business. And it would have been using my languages and all my selling skills and everything that didn't really, you know. So I wasn't, I wasn't specifically looking for a business ideas. When you, I think when you start a business or when you think like this, you just always have ideas in your head. You're just yes. always going, could that work? Could that make money? Would that work? And some you pursue more than others. And I think with Impact Arts, the thing about it that, that made it work was that it combined three things that I loved. Yeah. First was the idea of running a business. Yeah. The second was working within communities and helping people improve their lives. And the third was working in the arts, which yes. was something I totally loved, but I couldn't get a job and nobody would employ me because I didn't have the right qualifications. Yeah. So you create your own business and you're a director in your own, your own universe, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that, that that was what I did. And then with Homes for Good, so 
Um, you know, I ran it. So impact. So what I've realized is that, you know, a business is like a child that goes through the same stages as a child or, or a human being. So, you know, it's embryonic. You then give birth to it. It's then a toddler. Mm. Then it gets then it gets to the point you can leave it overnight with somebody else. You know, all of those those, those different things. And by the time Impact Arts was 18 years old, I didn't love it enough anymore. And I wanted no. to do something else. And I actually didn't know what it was that I was going to do. And Homes for Good sort of came about by accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, t- tells the story because uh, uh, again, th- this this is a this is now a, a, a major organisation, a major social landlord in Scotland. It's it's many many things. It came to sort of twenty eleven. Um, what happened was I knew that I wanted to leave Impact Arts, and I decided to leave Impact Arts and. Um, let my board know and we did all the transitions in the right way and I just sort of thought the right thing will happen I wasn't sure what I was going to do next but at that same time our letting agent also went bust and I had to very quickly take control of the portfolio that we had because Uh, um, it would have been you know that was quite a serious serious issue yeah it was holding money yeah probably yeah so we so I stabilized the portfolio but I learned a few things about what goes on in the letting agency world and I also had the chance to engage directly with my tenants so I wasn't happy with how I'd been treated as a landlord but I also was really concerned about how my tenants felt so then I handed the portfolio on to another letting agent and six months later the same thing happened (laughs) right so by this time we got to it was about 2012 I think and I just took the portfolio back and it was actually my husband that said why don't you set up a letting agency and my first reaction was well why would anybody want to be a letting agent that is just nuts you know that's like being a traffic warden or a tax collector and and seriously if you if you go to like a party or something and say you're a letting agent (laughs) people just walk walk away because letting agents you know the letting agency industry does have a bad reputation yeah and and danny just said well just do it your way and that was he just said do it your way and i thought right that was that was the trigger that That was was it yeah. And I thought, okay, it needs to be a social enterprise. It needs to be well, it needs to care about design. Yeah. It needs yeah. to feel creative. It yeah. needs to feel warm. Yeah. Um, and then I came up with the name of Homes for Good, which is not a particularly original name, but came up with the name. And it was almost like as soon as I came up with the name, I saw the whole thing. Yeah. I just visualized yeah. the whole it's thing. Appeared. Yeah. And what and what we've got today is what I've what I visualized. It's more than I visualized, but you know, it's certainly um what i saw evolving the whole yeah because yeah, because it's not just a letting agency you know you're actually building houses you're developing you're developers as well right it's not it's but not we, we don't know. build houses we buy we buy property you, you just buy houses. sorry yeah you just building, buy. yeah building houses build, building imp- but up. you improve them the ones yeah. that you yeah, yeah yeah i've not got the courage to do new build everybody's asking us to do it and i don't have the i don't i'm not brave enough i think it also <laughs> feels quite it's quite hard work yeah. You know, um, but the thing that is that is brilliant is buying a property that's in really bad condition and then bringing it to life and making it beautiful. And yes. you know, we have we 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 buy we buy properties that are quite low in value. Yes, but we put a lot of care into them and we have interior designers work on them. And the whole idea is that even a property that is low in value at a fairly low level of rent yes. can still be a beautiful home for someone. Yes, and and the for good part of homes for good is that your 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 tenants are a good many of them anyway are 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 disadvantaged. That's the that's 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 not all of them, but but many of them. 
Yeah. Well, there's a double play on the on the on the name. So Homes for Good is 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 doing things for for good and for the benefit, but it's also the, the you know for good means forever. And yes. I wanted to have something which in the private rented sector that this is your home for good. For good. If your you forever can, home, as we call it. Yeah. 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 You know, if you know, and obviously there's caveats around that and yes. folk have got to pay their rent and all the rest of it. But you know, it was just the whole idea of it feeling different. If you know, and and it was really clear that I wanted to go in. So although, you know, we talk about the social angle, we work yes. in the private rented sector because we're trying to change what happens there. Yes. You're trying to challenge, because what what is a bit of a sharky industry, isn't it? I, I, I've, whenever, whenever I was a, a student or whatever, the the, the yeah, or, or a young yeah, young renter, the letting agent was, you know, yeah, you you just yeah, you, you'd be apprehensive about them. You'd be uh, you'd really worry about them ever giving you your deposit back. It was all of that, wasn't it? And yeah. uh, and there'd be a yeah, there'd just be a kind of often a, a fairly um, yeah, and th- there weren't many ones that you would be uh, comfortable to. Uh, to go with this and I was really interested just to hear then about how the business came to you in this kind of you know almost this vision that was that was that was that was with you you know in 2013 2012 2013 when you set up and it, it was almost revealed really when 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 you you had that that moment um when you reflect on that now um I don't know what the, the fact that it, it, it what's happened is such a is is so similar to what you envisioned is is really interesting what 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 what's going on there do you think uh, do, do you think do you think the act of visualization was key to delivering this business in a way what was it was that was that was is that why partly it happened as it did i'm really interested in your in that moment and what it what it signified and what what it went on to uh what what it went on to create so you hear people talking about creative visualization and and I've never studied this theory or but but I just know that it works it feels to me like it works because and I don't know what the theory is behind it but I just think if you imagine and you can really really visualize I mean I'm quite a visual person you can really visualize something sooner or later your choices are going to take you there and it's and and you're going to make it happen Mm. I think that Mm. so so I suppose the first stage from a business perspective is doing all of this sort of background and, and trying to understand is the business, is this idea viable? Mm. How would the finances stack up? So I always talk about coming up with an idea and then opening up a spreadsheet yes. away and just starting to map out, does this stack up financially? And, 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 but then just what, what would it look like? It's just always, what would it look like? So, yes. um, you know, our offices, and I think I sent you pictures of our office. Yes, yeah. I yeah. visualized that. I mean, to the point where before we'd even started trading, I had I had drawn out a floor plan of what my letting agency office would look like and where the where the box shelves would go. I mean, that's quite weird, isn't it? When you no. when I actually see it out loud, I realize how weird that is. But you know that I um so so I visualized that and then and then an interesting thing was well, not interesting, again, it's gonna sound weird. When we took our first investment from Impact Ventures, and that was um, yes. Liam Black was involved in that. Yeah, the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I visualised signing the papers I've, because it was quite a long journey. I, I could see that. I thought, how hard is it to raise six million pounds? And it was hard. 
but I visualised myself, I thought I need to, I need to visualise myself sitting in my lawyer's office with my deal signing pen, which I still have, signing these papers. And I'd visualised that probably yeah, six yeah. months before it happened. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I just think there's something about if you can see yourself, and you just yeah. grow into it. Yeah. And um, I had a mentor, um, Jeanette, who, who used to always talk about being a spider in the middle of a spider's web. And, you know, the spider can't necessarily, it can't necessarily see to the edge of the web, but it can touch it. And it was yes. almost like, if I can just map out the web, yes. I'll just make it, ha make it yeah. happen. So yeah. yeah. It's a kind of creative. It's a creative thing, yeah. And uh, let's just think of, think about this seven years or so, perhaps more actually, since you started Homes for Good. What's what's been the hardest thing for you in that in that time? What's what's challenged you most? Given that given that it's your second time out as a, as an entrepreneur as well, a bit like me, I, I'm on my second time round as well, and it's different things are harder this time for me. And, and I don't know how it's been for you. Has, has any of this just been really really tough? Um, for you this time round with with Homes for Good. I think I think the hardest thing for me throughout all of this has been balancing family, yeah, and business. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the actual business itself hasn't been hard. It's it well, it's not been easy, but it's hmm. not been tough. Um, I mean, there have been elements of it that have been pretty tricky uh, yes. and frustrating, but overall, it's been I just brilliant, and I've I've all it's all. I've always just got started, really. You know, I'm, I'm probably, yeah. well, I mean, we can talk about what happens next after, but, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm certainly getting up every morning completely raring to go on it. So I, I just mm. love, I love what we do and what we've achieved. But I think that the hardest thing for me has been personally, and it has taken a toll on me personally, is, is juggling family. And when, you, and when you're running, it's, it's different from being in a job. Yeah. When yeah. you have your own business, it just it's, it's like another child. It's all yeah. consuming. And yeah. Yeah. but how do you have an all consuming business that's taking up all your waking headspace? How do you make time to switch off and look after yourself? Um, and also you know, my, yeah. my three daughters are now 20 and 21. So when I started Homes for Good, they were what 13, they're 13 and 14. Yes. So they were just in, they were maybe 12 and 13. They were just going into secondary school. They were just going yeah. into high school. Yeah. And actually you sort of think, well, they're going to be a bit more independent and they were far from it. Mm -hmm. and, and I suppose the other thing that happened was that when I started Homes for Good, I had, although I visualized it, I didn't visualize it getting to where it's got to now. I sort of, and I thought I'd be able to do it part time and it would be a wee bit of a lifestyle thing. Yeah. And it's been, it's not been that, has it? But I'm, no. I don't think I'm a lifestyle business type of person, really. Um, so all of the promises I made to my daughters, one of my daughters says to me, you promised you would pick us up from school every day and you did it twice. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. I think she's over-exaggerating, but I didn't do it every day. So yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's, it, for me, it was, I mean, balancing family, you know, in Impact Arts, I didn't have my children until year six or seven of impact arts um but they were small and i had childcare and yeah but balancing that juggle of three children at secondary school yeah and all the challenges they have growing up was was has been difficult and now they're they're all on their way to what they're doing next i feel as if i've got a new lease of life and much more energy again to 
to have another good, you know, chunk of growth in homes for good. So it's quite yeah. Yeah, no, there's this. I think we're probably of a similarish age, and I think that's that that the, some of the dimensions of what you've been talking about, the first business that didn't really pay, uh, that you had to get out of to to build a you know to 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 build an income to support a growing family, then the second business, kind of you know uh, enjoyable but kind of stymied by the demands of childcare and uh, and 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 all the kind of emotional and kind of family complexities that um that that, that having that, that running a business and running three kids brings with it i've got three as well and it's 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 it's, it's hard to make it all work and i think and yeah. i think you your yours is harder than mine i think because um yeah i yeah. think you, that's a bigger and faster growing business than mine yeah. mine is so yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm relating to it can i just say um so you know impact arts wasn't something that didn't pay um, mm. I grew. I mean, I, in the early years of Impact Arts, it, it, you know, when you're starting up, you're not taking a salary. No, no. But Impact Arts, you know, I grew Impact Arts into a national charity. So yeah, oh, I, I, it, yeah, I, I didn't pay enough. <laughs> yeah, to, no, to, it, it yeah. did. It did. Yeah. But no, it was did. my choice. Yeah. It was my yeah. choice. What you know, this is the thing. Yeah. And so this, this sort of, for me, um, you know, the balancing of the chat. I don't see any of this. So in, it's funny when people talk about what was your struggle and what's your hardest thing because I don't see any of it as a hard thing. No, no. And um, everything has been a choice. So it was yeah. my choice to carry on running Impact Arts when my babies were born, and I made that choice so that I could have a flexible employer, i.e., yes. myself. Yes. And then you know, the reason that I moved away from Impact Arts was that. I'd sort of run out of ideas, but also mm. I'd, I'd turned it into a charity. We yes. got a significant grant investment from Inspiring Scotland in 2009 and turned yes. it into a national charity. But I sort of looked at it and went, I'm not, I'm not a charity chief executive. That is mm. not my, I'm not the right person to do to do this no 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 is no, i'm joined by no Simon, who's my, my my colleague from the the um university of illinois uh he's in uh, well although living in san francisco at the moment he how we and uh no you you've 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 um you were involved in inspiring scotland and you you were involved in impetus when um um when impetus was uh um uh, growing uh, and, and any thoughts in, and you work with startups all the time any thoughts and observations on 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 um on inspiring Scotland and and sorry on 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 um, homes for good and and what you're hearing from Susan's story. Yeah, well, Susan, it's been so wonderful to hear you talk through these, and you bring such a clarity to your story, and it, which is I think remarkable, even in the world of of many remarkable founders. Um, there's one part that just seems so so interesting about you know sort of the origin story for your ventures, right? That like we live in a world where especially social purpose entrepreneurs, right? Often have a sort of superhero-esque story, right? And it's almost expected sometimes by funders, right? Um, you've raised tens of millions of pounds to start, you know, businesses in very different or organizations in very different um, aspects of life, right? Um, how has that process um been for you when when you don't have this like easy back pocket thing and you're just bringing exceptional clarity exceptional talent how has that been it's been fine i i yeah this this whole sort of founder story thing i don't like the story is not the founder is not the story mm. the story is the thing you, you want to do i don't get it 
And and actually, I think I think there's a danger when funders get um, bedazzled by a founder's road to Damascus story or tragedy, um, you know, because that isn't enough, you know, and we see lots of social businesses flounder along the way mm-hmm. with people who um, had this great idea, but they weren't the right p- person to execute and grow a business. So, so I, I, you know, what, how have I found things? And, and if it's in the, the, if it's in the um, context of sort of raising funds, I've always managed to raise funds fairly well. And I think, I think that's because I'm probably a good storyteller, a, a fairly good communicator, um, which I think goes back to my language training and my languages background and, and just this whole idea of looking at ingredients and piecing them together in a logical order and then just telling the narrative. Mm. Um, and I think also, you know, just going back to this, this idea about, you know, where did the origins for, for my thinking come from? something that I probably didn't articulate earlier, but, um, you know, this whole process of me living in quite a secure, safe environment and then, you know, and it was just in the outskirts of Glasgow, Mm. we didn't, we were very protected. It was a very protected upbringing I had. And then going and seeing different parts of the world and poverty Mm. and different Mm. things going on. And then seeing what happened, you know, just with the experience that I had in Germany and then bringing that back and then working in the poorest parts of Glasgow I did actually get to a point where I thought I'm not like any of the people around me. Mm-hmm. I'm not like anybody else in my family. Mm. And the, the, you know, a number of the people that, that, you know, the town that I grew up in, I'm, you know, I'm, I mean, I was away by the time I was 20. I just wasn't mm. the same. So there was almost something where I thought, um, the, 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 it was, it was, it was just, I, I just saw really clearly that I needed to do, I needed to put my skills into making things better when lots of other people around me were just turning a blind eye because they were focusing in on their safe world. Yes. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And um, no, we just took, we, we just touched on social investment, Sue, which, which you, you've, you've been say, successful in raising. Uh, they, they get, the social investors get a bit of a mixed press in my view. Some, some, yeah, the, the report uh, reports just come out recently, just kind of basically, basically criticizing them a bit and um, for trying to, trying to sort of marry the two worlds of, you know, of, 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 you know, of, of making money and doing good um what's your what's your what's your take on 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 working with social investors has it has it been all good news for you has it been have there been any things that have been really difficult what's your what's your take on that whole emergent sector of social investment well that's a good question i think and it's a question for a whole other podcast i don't feel they've got enough of an understanding of the balance between social impact and financial return mm. you know so, 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 um, so say more on that because i this is this is the heart of the matter with them isn't it you know because you've used them and i guess you must have used them rather than ordinary investors for some reason but 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 again that there is this difficult tension that they're managing as well to talk us through that susan yeah so so i think i think that so if you think about it somebody like me going for money today uh, so I'm in my 50s. I've been working in the poorest communities in Glasgow since I was 22 years old. So I've been, blame me, that's 30 years, isn't it? 
So I understand just instinctively all the ingredients of my business and the people that I, you know, and the social change that I can create and, and I care about it so deeply. And, you know, you know, I know all the, I know all the faces, I know all the people. Hmm. I've got people that I worked with 30 years ago that I can still tell you about as if it was yesterday. And then the people who are making the decision to invest in your business quite often. So you've got your investment committees, but the people that you're working with on a day-to-day basis might have come through one of the Russell universities, hmm. might have come worked in the city or worked in banking. They are not likely to have got real in-depth experience of what it really is like from a social perspective. Yeah. Now that's me being quite, that's quite a sweeping generalization, but my experience is that, and, and the other thing is that I've raised most of our money down in London, mm-hmm. so it's probably yes. reinforced. And there's also a generational gap. So some mm-hmm. of the people I'm negotiating with are 20, 25 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I've come out of very lovely, very smart people coming out of, you know, PwC or Citibank or, you know, wherever they're coming out of and deciding they want to go and have a more social focus. But it's what I almost call a people disconnect. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's just that we've got different experience. And I think with social investors, you know, as you know, I'm involved in the Social Investment Commission at the moment. Yes, and, you are. Yeah. Um, you know, if you actually look at the way these funds are structured, it's there's a return expectation that is set before they actually know what they're going to invest in. Yes, yeah, which is so quite high you, sometimes as well. Yeah. yeah, so then what you're trying to do is retrofit what you do to the return that they need to make, and that's where it becomes difficult. Yeah. And what ends up happening is that you talk about the money 80% of the time and you talk about the social impact 20% of the time. And with that percentage, I'm probably being, probably being generous, if I'm being honest, it feels like it's 90%, 10%. So um, that's the challenge I would say around social investment. And, and, you know, you asked earlier, why did I go down that the road of social investment? Because it was there. And because I could see the opportunity, you know, all these funds are created that literally need a home. Yes. And we've got a brilliant home. And um, and actually the irony was um, that the social investment funds were there looking for a home when the the mainstream banks were paralyzed and not invest not lending. Yeah. So it was just good timing as well at the beginning. Yeah. So it yeah. was good timing. And then by the time things had freed up a little bit, we then had track records. Scaling social businesses is always it's something that people have been talking about for, for forever. Um, and it's 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 a it's a difficult thing to do well. Um, there aren't many that seem to scale very effectively in the way that they often do in in the private sector. But you know, but I think um, I, I do. I, my guess would be that directly replicating what you've got in West Western Scotland and in other places might give others the confidence to do it because then people know it's not a one-off. People people absolutely know this is a this is a model that can work anywhere. And then that might be the that might that might be the touch paper possibly. If you can do well, it's it. definitely. I mean, it definitely can. There is absolutely no issue that it can. I mean, it could work in any. The, the same, the absolutely same model that we currently use in Homes for Good could work in London. Yes. Maybe not so much with it. Well, it could work from an investment side as well. That the investors would just need to accept a much lower return mm. if it was London. It mm. could work in any urban city. Yes. Where you've got a mix of, a, a, you know, a sort of dynamic housing market, and then also people who need support. 
yes. that mix it, it, it could work it, it could work there in rural areas it would be a different operating model because yes. there would be different levers what the reason that the that, that we might find it challenging in different cities is not about the market it's about who, who are the players already there yes so there are uk cities where it wouldn't be right for us to go in with our model because there are already half a dozen organizations trying to improve the private rented sector in their own way so there's yes. maybe not room or space yes yeah 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 but i said that is definitely going to be the, the focus of what we do over the next few years is just how we can maximize our reach one way or another yeah and so susan you've mentioned that you know you you learn by seeing things from both sides right and that you seem to have this very finely developed radar for spotting opportunities right both from a business model perspective and from this sort of fully formed visions that come in based on your expertise so it seems like you would be sparking up new business ideas all of the time how have you found balancing um being a significant operational leader with having all these new ideas like clearly you've have many revenue streams in each of the organizations you founded but what do you do with those other ideas? How do you interact with that? Is that frustrating for you at all? Well, do you know, it's funny because um, I remember before in Impact Arts, I had, it was a completely different type of um, organization and our job was to come up with ideas. We were a creative organization and I used to come up with things all the time. And what I used to do there was I would write them up as what I would call a two-pager a proposal, I would just write it up, I would get it and I would get the business, I would get the, the spreadsheet, you know, a summary of the, just, I would just write it up and I would give it a name. And then that, and, and, and as far as I was concerned, that was it born. That was it, it was there. And then I might, and I would, and I would just wait with it. And, you know, the right thing, the right opportunity might come along to bring it off the shelf. So it's almost literally like just creating things and, leaving them on a shelf you know you would you would create it so I suppose it's almost like saying right this is a good idea are there any takers just now if the answer is no then you just park it and a really good example of that came with a project that we've just launched um, with Shelter National Homelessness Charity where we're bringing in a member of staff to focus on empty homes now, the vision for what I wanted to do, and there's an element to that program that is quite an unusual little model that I wanted to test. I did the spreadsheet and wrote that up in 2013 and just left it. Well, and the reason that I left it was because other things got in the way and that, that, that you know, you just, you're pursuing lots of different things and some things take precedence. And I was able to revisit it. So I had another, Shelter and I had another conversation completely different member of you know just I just years had passed and I said I had this idea a few years ago that's a great idea and we've just and we're just going to make it happen so you know that's that's what I've done historically now I think what I do is I don't think I've got the energy to sit and write all the things up and I need to be focused on what I'm doing at homes for good but I very quickly do a sort of feasibility and go that would be a great idea um I mean even when I go into like into restaurants or go into places and one of my daughters is the same we sort of work out the business model and work out whether it's making money or not I think it's just it's just a habit um so so yeah so I think that 
but the other thing that I'm confident about is that I will always come up with a new idea and I'll always come up with a new name for something. So, you know, another day, another idea. Thank you for sharing that. I'm a little curious. So when you come up with a brilliant idea, the numbers feel great. The idea looks great. The name is perfect, but it's just not the right time. And it's just so far outside the scope of what you're doing. What do you do with those? Have you passed on ideas to other entrepreneurs? Um, um, yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got to, if you can make it happen, then tell somebody else about it and maybe they'll make it happen.